Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week to provide a little insight to how the year is going with a 2021 update. A little bit of a look at multifamily as we're in the middle-ish part of the year. Some of this is data from some industry sources, some of it's uh, from the Fed and some government databases, and a chunk of it's just our experience in terms of what's going on in the market. So I hope you'll find this a valuable look at multifamily in 2021. As always, if you have questions, please feel free to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And swing by the website and the Learning Center in particular, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com, and check out all the great content that we have for you there. All right. So every year we do a update looking at the future uh, for that particular calendar year. And then around the middle-ish part of the year, we like to go through and do a bit of an update on how things are going. And uh, 2020 and 2021 have been so unique. Um, recessions happen, and, and we kind of know what to expect when we go through a recession. A self-induced recession that was part of the shutdown to address the health issues associated with the pandemic is not something we've experienced before. Uh, the Not only abruptness of the onset of that recession, but the swiftness of when you just turn the spigot back on, the fact that we've had so much job growth and rebound and recovery that has been able to happen in a very short period of time as compared with a more typical recession, which uh, has a, a period of recovery and growth that comes more slowly. Um, and so this is, this is definitely new territory uh, and thought it would be a good idea to share some data. Now, what triggered this is uh, the nice folks at CBRE sent out their mid-year snapshot, um, I don't know, about a week ago, week and a half ago. And I was looking through it and chatting with some of the team and we were discussing it. And I said, you know what, this might be some interesting uh, insights, content to share with everyone else. So that's what we're doing. As I said in the little intro there, uh, this data comes from a variety of sources. As I said, CBRE issued a uh, essentially a Q2 uh, report on multifamily. There's some data out there from the Fed uh, that we've drawn on. Uh, we've got not only our own experience in our portfolio, but just what we're able to see in, in the industry uh, in particular in the markets that we're active in. So I think we've got um, a, a decent snapshot uh, to share, and with that, we'll we'll get to it. So the first point, and I think it, it's the first point for a variety of reasons, uh, and I would agree that it should be the first point, and that's uh, vacancy. So physical vacancy nationally dropped 70 basis points to 4.0%, so from 47 down to 4%. That's, that's really significant. One, 
4.7% is a very healthy physical vacancy. You know, last week we talked about uh, full occupancy. Well, 4.7% physical vacancy, even with a 1% concession rate and a 1% bad debt rate, which bad debt might be running that higher, maybe a little higher. We're certainly not seeing that level of concessions in the industry. We're not experiencing those. But even with those, you'd be at about a 6.7, so call it 7% total economic vacancy. That's 93% occupancy. That's a really healthy number. So uh, the, the multifamily space is in a very healthy place. Obviously, that 4% is, again, it's a national average. We all know there are distressed properties out there that run considerably higher than that when it comes to vacancy. Uh, We've seen that just in the acquisition pipeline. Healthy number of properties that are, and they're not terrible, you know, maybe 8%, some at 10. There's certainly properties at 15 and 20% that are out there. Well, if there are properties like that, then there must be a pretty decent number of properties that are really running at that full occupancy number that we talked about. At 4%, you're kind of closing in on it. There's not a lot more you're going to be able to pick up simply because of the normal movement that we talked about uh, last week. Um, So that's a national snapshot. Uh, We definitely see that in the markets that we're active in. Uh, I'd say in general, the class B space in the markets we're active in is at least at that 4% rate, if not lower, uh, essentially bordering on uh, full occupancy. And again, we, we mentioned last week that our portfolio is fully occupied. A high vacancy, pardon me, a high occupancy rate, right? So a low physical vacancy rate um, obviously is going to lead to rent growth. So um, in the second quarter, nationally, we saw a 3.5% increase in rent. We underwrite in our models 3% rent growth on an ongoing basis. In some instances, we might pull that back to 2.5%. We have never underwritten anything north of 3%. Although right now we're actively having discussions of doing that because that 3.5%, that is the quarterly rate. That is not an annualized number. That's what the rents move just this quarter. So we're talking double-digit rent movement um, across the country. Very significant. That movement obviously ties very closely to the occupancy uh, component. We're absolutely seeing that in the markets that we're active in. Uh, Renewal rates, uh, 10%, 15%, 20%. Now, let's put that in some context. That sounds phenomenal. Our portfolio, and I think this is true in many portfolios, stayed flat last year. We did not move rents. Many markets, especially the coastal markets, actually reduced rents 10, 15, in some instances, even 20%. So if rents have held steady for a year and a half, having a significant spike in rent growth really just kind of gets us back to the trend we were on before. So I don't know that I would interpret that as 
we're in some new era where we're going to see not 3% rent growth, but we're going to see a steady 5% or 6% every year. Um, I, I think we'll probably end up back at a, a 3% number, at least from a conservative standpoint. Um, but we're definitely seeing significant movement in rent across the board, Class Bs in um, particular. Now, one of the reasons that we're seeing that is, as I said, is this um, occupancy component. And if we look at the occupancy component in terms of um, the classes, class A, B, and C, um, we'll, we'll see two things. One, they're moving um, in sync with each other. So uh, we didn't see a flat line in vacancy in one class while we saw another class dropping, and we didn't see any of the classes increase. So they all came down. The largest decrease in vacancy, which is, again, going to be tied very much to those that rent movement, was in the A's. Uh, it dropped an entire percentage point, 100 basis points, um, still in the fours, mid fours, um, so still higher than Bs and Cs, uh, but significant. Why? Well, the A's lost the most, right? Uh, as we've often said, you know, B is kind of the Goldilocks space. When you head into a recession, um, A's are going to pull back more on vacancy than B's and C's will for a couple reasons. One, A's can't draw really from anywhere. It's, it's not like there's a class above an A that somebody there is going to say, well, I'll move out and go move into an A. You might have homeowners uh, that are unfortunately going to leave their home and they're going to go move into an A. That takes some time, and I don't think we had a chance to really see any of that. And if you've lost your home, you're probably not looking at renting a luxury Class A apartment. You're probably looking more at a B or a C. So the A's tend to lose more, so they have more to gain back, right? So I think that's one of the things that we're seeing. Uh, and uh, they're getting very close to the uh, pre-recession uh, vacancy numbers. Class B's fell that 70 basis point average, right? So right in the middle, just like Goldilocks, um, but down to 3.7%. Um, so B's are really getting pretty close to that full occupancy number. And C's, C's fell the least, but it's because they had the smallest drop they could have. They came down 50 bips to 3.5%. So a little closer to full occupancy than B's, but not by a great, uh, great deal. So um, pretty significant movement there. That's the driver behind the significant jumps in uh, rent that we um, saw. 85% of the markets that are out there, right, on a national basis, 85% of markets have now returned to pre-COVID rent numbers. So... As I said, some markets had to lower rents. Some were able to hold them steady. I'm sure somewhere in the country there were some that actually eked out gains. Um, but everybody, 
except for 15%, uh, is back to where they were um, to start with and then moving forward. So vacancy is down. That's obviously creating some tightness in the market, which is moving rents. Rents have moved in a meaningful manner in 85% of the market. I don't know what that is. What is that? Six out of seven or seven out of eight or some number like that. Significant amount of the market. So the final piece of the puzzle that adds to that rent movement is new construction. And we've talked about this um, many times, if you go back and uh, look for a number of episodes, where we talk about the fact that we've got increasing demand, right? There's more and more units needed every year from a variety of factors, from population growth to um, household formation to the significant reduction in home ownership from its peak at almost 70 down now into the uh, just kind of low mid 60s uh, kind of numbers. Uh, all of that uh, has conspired to put us in a position where we need 300,000, 400,000 units a year. I think that's a very conservative number. We actually believe it's much higher than that. Uh, but just that's kind of a good number, I think, to use. And that's how much we need to keep pace with the shortfall we already have. So uh, lots of demand. Uh, and uh, in order to meet that demand, we've got to have new supply. We really need to have new supply in the order of not 300, but maybe 400 or 500,000 a year to really be making the progress we need such that you would see rents move not because of the supply-demand imbalance, but because of normal rent movement that might occur just economically and organically. In the second quarter, there were about 66,000 units completed nationally. That's 260-some-odd units, 260-some-odd thousand units nationally on an annualized basis. Short of the three to four hundred thousand I just mentioned that we believe you need to have in order to maintain pace. And again, a significant amount in the markets we're active in, it's actually the overwhelming majority of that new construction is in the Class A space. It's still very difficult to build new Bs that can compete with a B that I can go buy in the open market. Now, we're getting closer, absolutely. If you look at the large metropolitan markets in the country, the price for existing Class B product is getting closer and closer to the price for construction of something in that same space. When they get to the point that it's economically viable to build new supply, we'll see some new supply coming. We are still quite some distance from that. For example, in the markets that we're active in, we've gone from seeing Class B units sell for fifty to maybe $80,000 a unit to now where decent Class B units are routinely selling for $100,000 plus, maybe as high as $120,000. Now, you get into the metropolitan areas, that's going to be a little higher we're still talking about a significant discount from what it would cost to build those new units. And obviously as investors, 
especially investors in the Class B space, which, again, I would encourage you, if you're looking at getting into multifamily and you're not there yet, look at Class B. We'd all be very happy if Class Bs rose in value to the point where you could begin building some new supply. As you can see, even if this level of construction uh, began to shift so it was more blended, so there were As and Bs in it, um, we're still building fewer units than we need. Right? So we still have a supply-demand imbalance that exists today and that, at least based on these numbers, is going to exist as we continue into the future. So when we're talking about um, the economics of uh, the rental space, about what's making rents move, it has everything to do with the fact that as the recovery moves forward and people uh, return to work, return to full employment, um, see increases in their income by virtue of uh, either changing a job or seeing higher wages, another factor we're seeing in a number of uh, segments, uh, some of that excess or additional income is being directed towards, I'd like to change my uh, living experience. I'd like to have a nicer unit to live in. I'd like to have a larger property. Or I'm relocating because of work. A lot of different reasons, but it's definitely driving demand, in particular in the B space. And there's just as many B properties today as there were a year and a half ago before we headed into this uh, to this downturn. Without any new supply, there's only one thing that can happen, and that is rents moving up. And that's why we're seeing tenants renewing with higher uh rent increases than what they typically would see, and market rents moving 10% in a year when they might normally only move, as I said, 3% or maybe 4 or 5%. And overall rent increases in the double digits when you factor in value-add work and all the other things that people might be doing that are going to be moving rents. And, and that's on the rent side. Recall, we've talked about the fact that in optimizing revenue, there's uh, the other income segment of uh, revenue, which absolutely is an opportunity, uh, some of it in simply recovering cost, right? So uh, if you've got a property where it's costing you $7 a unit to uh, have the trash collected and you're billing back for trash, but you're only billing $3, billing $3 well, there's an opportunity there to increase your cost recovery. But there's also an opportunity to provide amenities that tenants will find valuable, whether it's um, assigned parking or covered parking. Uh, it might be uh, package services or package lockers. That's one of the ones we've found great success with. Tenants are very appreciative of that. Uh, and a modest fee uh, is welcomed uh, for the security of knowing that they can order as much as they currently order today. Uh, from a retail space online, and yet have it delivered in a in a manner that it's going to be safe and secure. Uh, all of those are contributing to higher and higher NOI. And and again, we've talked about that recently. That uh, record-setting NOI um, is something we're certainly experiencing, uh, and I would expect you'll be seeing that at many properties uh, because we're really pushing into some new territory. Now. 
that's that's the look at what's happened so far in 21. So what's the second half of 21 going to look like? Well, a certain amount of that has to do with, again, what happens with the economy. We've seen a very significant recovery so far in terms of people returning to work. Much like the vacancy improvements, those people can only go back to work once. So th- those millions of jobs that have been added are, have already been added. They're not, they're not there for us to add in the second half of the year. The further we get into this recovery, the more it will begin to look like a traditional uh, recovery with uh, a more modest recovery line. So that's certainly something we uh, are expecting from that standpoint. Again, we don't see any abatement in the supply-demand situation. So I think we think we're going to continue to see significant rent movement, not just in 21, but through 22 and and uh, and beyond for a short period of time. I don't think we're looking at a five-year run of 10% rent movement, but we're definitely looking at something stronger than what we have seen uh, previously. Again, driven by this supply-demand um, issue. Um, occupancy doesn't show any signs of pulling back. Uh, we see many, many, many properties that are becoming more aggressive with rent movement and yet haven't seen any change to their occupancy status, to their vacancy. So the balance of 21, we think, will look a lot like the first part of 21. So from that standpoint, we get uh, 21 in the bag like this, we begin to start looking at 22. When we start looking at 22, I think that's where we might see the beginnings of a return to normal trends. Um, at least internally, that's our expectation is that, is that we'll see uh, more uh, routine rent growth. Uh, we will likely begin to see occupancies return to a more normal range, which again is very healthy, right? Having having 5 or 6% vacancy is not a bad number and actually very helpful in terms of having appropriate levels of uh, turnover and the like, even 7%. Um, but that's to be discussed when we get to January uh, and we'll have a better view of what next year uh, looks like. Uh, until then, uh, I think we'll simply... Uh, Continue to play the uh, the 2021 scenario that we've been working so far this this year, and that is to uh, follow the market, uh, to pay attention to not only what the competitive environment is, but to what our tenants are telling us, and they tell us uh, and give us feedback by virtue of uh, their pocketbook, right? So if we're able to move rents and we maintain occupancy then that's just further reinforcement that that kind of rent strategy uh, makes sense. So if you're one of our investors, you already know a lot of this because we've been sharing it in the uh, reporting that we do on a monthly and a quarterly basis. If you are invested with another sponsor, you may or may not have had some feedback from them on how your investment is performing there. Uh, I'd encourage you to talk to them about these factors in terms of how they're experiencing Uh, vacancy and occupancy issues and what's going on with rents and renewals and other income and all those kinds of factors. And if you are not yet invested in multifamily, none of this means that you have missed the boat. Multifamily is on a 
long-term trajectory to be a very stable, solid place to have your money. Had you invested a few years ago, would you have some gains now? Sure you would. And that's true with any solid investment that you look at. That doesn't mean that the, the ride is over uh, and that we're to a place where we're not going to see continued uh, growth. Uh, the growth will simply be at some point in time more normal than what we're experiencing right now, which is um, a little turbocharged. So I hope you found this week's segment valuable. If you have questions, again, don't hesitate to shoot me an email. That's pat at marapolling.com. Please set your calendar for Tuesday because that's when our sessions come out. And join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling.